0: I'm Olympic and world champion diver Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. I'm very proud to announce our new sponsor, Katsu Global. I love their products, and I'm so thankful for their support of this podcast. I'll tell you a little bit more about Katsu later on in this episode. Drug scandals are unfortunately notorious in sports, and just two months ago at the Beijing Winter Olympics, there were flashbacks to the vast Russian doping scandal of the 2014 Sochi Games. Over the years, these doping issues have become front and center in the news to the detriment of the clean athletes. Sometimes several Olympic cycles will pass before athletes are even found to have cheated and the clean athletes are finally awarded their rightful medals and placed on the podium. But that's long after the world has forgotten about the event and moved on, leaving the true champions forever in the shadows of the doper and their scandal. Today's guest has a very personal experience with this issue and is now in a place to begin making effective change in sport for athletes. Allison Wagner is an Olympic silver medalist, a three-time world silver medalist, a 13-time national champion, and even held a world record for over 14 years in swimming. On several occasions, Allison was beaten in those major championships by swimmers who are highly suspected or later proven to be users of banned performance-enhancing substances. Allison now works for the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, also known as USADA. She is USADA's first Director of Athlete and International Relations. Allison shares her story with us, gives us a basic understanding of how the drug testing process works and what our rights are as athletes. We also dig into the Russian doping scandal that started way back in 2014, the issues that go all the way to the top of the International Olympic Committee, and what we can do as athletes and coaches to affect change. Before we get started, I quickly wanna tell you about the Confidence Journal. I created this tool to help you keep your head in the game and get you ready for your toughest competition. This journal is specifically designed to be quick and effective. You'll begin to take charge of your mindset and start your days off positive and focused. At the end of each day, you'll discover lessons and building blocks to continue growing. Just check out this five-star review on Amazon from Monica titled, A Must-Have for Any Competitive Athlete. She says, this is quick and touches all aspects of developing confidence in an athlete. This has helped my daughter by putting down her daily goals and long-term goals in journaling and an easy way to track progress and thoughts. I highly recommend for any competitive athlete. It takes less than five minutes each day. Love it. And I love that review. Thank you, Monica. You can order your copy of the Confidence Journal at laurawilkinson.com slash journal, or you can grab one on Amazon by searching my name, Laura Wilkinson, and Confidence Journal make sure you smash that subscribe button and give us a five-star review if you're enjoying the Pursuit of Gold podcast. And please tell your friends about this podcast so that we can continue to improve and grow to that next level. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Allison Wagner, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Thank you so much for coming on with us
1: today. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay. I, we're going to get into all the things. We have a lot of things to cover um, in the whole drug scandal world, but this is not new to you. You have your own story and how it affected you. You were an amazing athlete. And I would like to hear a little bit about your background, um, your amazing endeavors in your Olympics and world championships, and kind of how all of this affected you personally.
1: So I was a swimmer, fellow water sport person. Um <laughs> As I'm sure you know, many swimmers swimming back and forth in the pool look at divers with envy. Um, but not that it's an easier sport. Just you guys get to sit in the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we we, we 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 rally in that. Yes, it's it's one of our favorite. Things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was a swimmer. I was an individual medley swimmer mostly. Started off as a breaststroker. I held a world record for 14. To 15 years, 14 and a half years, I was a silver medalist at the 96 Olympic Games, um, three-time world champion, uh, championship, excuse me, silver medalist, and uh, yeah, 13-time national champion. And I retired from sport in the late 90s and then went back to it uh, 2004 or five for a few years. Yeah, we just can never get enough of our sport, can we? I I feel the same (laughs) way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so how do I mean, because that's quite a resume. I mean, anybody would be, I think, absolutely thrilled to have that kind of resume. But it was very shadowed, I guess we could say. Uh, Will you tell us
1: a little bit about that? Sure. I competed against uh, multiple swimmers in uh, gold medal races uh, and won the silver medal to athletes who were later proven to have doped. World championship, two world championship competitions and uh, the Olympic Games in 96. So that experience for me was gradually and more increasingly frustrating and defeating, you know, realizing that my devotion to respecting the rules and a fair playing field and respecting my competitors, you know, that devotion wasn't being protected by those people in positions of power and influence and my respect for my sport and the Olympic games and Olympic values, I felt wasn't being reciprocated in respect for my fair play, my respect for fair play, and also my sacrifices for my sport. So it was really devastating. And, you know, this is partly why I'm uh, working with the U- U.S. Anti-Doping Agency now, because I just hate to think that there are, and I know there are athletes out there like myself um, who feel like they're not being protected. And uh, watching the Russia scandal unfold really inspired me to, to, Come along this path because despite, you know, some changes in the global anti-doping system, to me, it just seemed like nothing had changed. I raced against um, athletes from a state-sponsored doping program in the 90s and then another athlete that was a separate issue, not involved in state-sponsored doping, but still quite contentious situation at that time at the Olympic Games. So I understand what athletes are going through. Can I
0: ask you on a personal level, like when you are standing on the Olympic podium in second place, like, cause did you know at that time she was a doper? Cause I know she, hers came out later, but did you know at that time and how, how did that impact you either then or later?
1: You know, by that point I had raced against and been around athletes who were doping and we had uh strong suspicions and uh, just knowing how she had progressed and, and how her body had so drastically changed and knowing that, you know, people in positions of power in her own country were highly concerned, all contributed to you know, a general uh, feeling of how did she get here and what, if anything, failed in the system to allow her to be here. So, I mean, were you, you were
0: already feeling that on the Olympic podium?
1: Yeah, When I touched the wall and won the silver medal, I had uh, barely touched out uh, the woman uh, who won bronze, who was a very accomplished swimmer, uh, Christina Egerzegi. And I admired her a lot. And to be in that race with her and to barely touch her out, I mean, I felt I felt proud of that. And at the same time, I also felt like I was in the middle of a car wreck, you know, just felt traumatic that this was happening again And when we got out of the water, Christina came up to me and said, you know, you and I both know you're the real winner of this race and congratulations. But yeah, like I said, contentious situation. Um, Some of my American teammates spoke up in the press about um, this woman, Michelle, at the time, her last name was Smith. But yeah. Does that have negative effects too? Like, did you say anything or how? Because I know...
0: It's such a, a hot thing because some, some people are so outspoken, they're just going to say something. Other people are terrified to say anything, even if it's true, because they don't want negative press or negative this or losing sponsors or not making a team. You know, there's that, that fear of speaking out in a way. What, what did, how did that unfold around your event?
1: Yeah, I was told by people in my NGB to not speak up. And I was very young at the time. How old were you? I was 18. I had a, a 19th birthday at the Olympic Games in 96. And I was told to not be a surly Shirley. <laughs> and Sh- Shirley Babishoff, are you, do you know who she is? No. Yeah, she spoke up about her experiences at the time in um, the uh, 76 Olympics, uh, racing East Germans and winning a bunch of silver medals to them. And uh, the the notion was that she was people in the media or and even people inside a sport would say she was a sore loser. And it's just it's, uh, you know, kind of disturbing now to realize that people were, were saying and, and treating her like that. But, yeah, that's what I was told.
0: So what, what kind of advice would you give to athletes who are in that kind of current situation um, that you know, feel like they know what's happening. Do they speak up? Do they not? Like, because there's, I guess there's, you know, pros and cons to either way, but like, what, how, what do you, what advice do you have for athletes currently in that situation?
1: Well, I'd really uh, love to see athletes engage with their athlete representatives, you know, at WADA, at the IOC, in the US, with the Athletes Advisory Council, reaching out to me here at USADA and um, voicing their concerns. And, Uh, talking about uh, what they need to know more about or what they see happening in their sports. This is how things change if if people get engaged and involved. And while there's a lot of room for improvement in terms of how athletes have or don't have power, decision-making power in sport governance structures, I think it only helps if athletes can engage. I think that's
0: great. And I think I think, yes, going to your athlete representatives is a great start. And then, yes, they can speak on behalf of probably many athletes, which is a great power, I think, for sure. Can you maybe give us like a general overview? Because there is so much complication around the world of anti-doping and the doping process. And, you know, I've, of course, during the whole uh, Winter Olympics, when all the Russian stuff came out, I was getting a, a just slew of messages in, in my DM box and just, you know, yelling about all this stuff and these people know nothing and, and how it works and <laughs> that, that athletes are very much involved in the process and their, their movements are tracked and, and all this stuff. Can you maybe just give us, I know it's very complicated, you don't have to get too much into the weeds, but to give people a general overview of what that doping process um, looks like, I guess both in and out of competition. Sure. You mean unit you know, doping controls? Yes. Sorry, not the doping process. I guess that
1: sounded yeah. really bad. No. <laughs> Sorry, they're just the drug th- testing. <laughs> Let me rephrase right. that. <laughs> okay, so basically there are registered testing pools and a clean athlete program, the former being called RTP, the latter called CAP. There's testing at competitions as well. There's an element of the system known as whereabouts and that is information submitted by the athlete that allows that athlete to be located for out-of-competition testing. You know, the testing pools are compiled in accordance with WADA's, and WADA being the World Anti-Doping Agency, their standard for testing and investigation. But basically, NGBs and USADA or USADA's equivalent in other countries work together to create these pools of athletes uh, that are available for testing out-of-competition. And the whereabouts system requires an athlete to provide timeframes for regular activities, time slots whereby they can be located uh, for testing. And if an athlete's in the RTP overnight addresses for every night, Um, you know, it's quite a requirement. And most people outside of sport, I think, would be surprised to understand how much athletes have to do as an elite athlete to be uh, tested regularly, and um, also, you know, the burden on the athlete is, is pretty high. You know, a lot of athletes are happy to participate, of course, because we want clean sport. Uh, we want the, the playing field to be fair. But the, you're right, the system is complicated, um, and there's a lot that goes into it.
0: Yeah, there is. I mean, it's been a few years since I've been part of the, the regular testing pool where you have to, to submit your whereabouts. But I mean, it gets detailed and you have to basically respond to them within an hour. Like you have to be able to to get to a place where you've said you would be so that, that you can give them a sample. So it it can be pretty intense sometimes and missing a test is not a good thing.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> No, definitely not. Yeah. I had a DCO once um, accompany me to a theater show. Because oh my God. <laughs> I had just emptied my bladder and um I had tickets to the show and so they just uh came with me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Until I could provide a sample again. Yeah, they have to keep their
0: eyes on us so once they make contact, yeah, you have to be like under their supervision so that you know they can see that you're not doing anything to tamper with the sample for sure. Well, so what are like the athletes' rights around like a positive test? Um, is it different out of competition versus in competition?
1: No, I mean, basically, uh, the athlete has the right to appeal decisions. Um, So, in the instance we were talking about whereabouts, if there's a whereabouts uh, failure, if there's inaccurate or insufficient information submitted by the athlete and they receive a missed uh, test, for example, and if they have three whereabouts failures within a rolling 12 month period, uh, this would result in an anti doping rule violation. So, that athlete can appeal within fourteen days of the final decision to an independent administrative panel, and if the athlete in a different situation, if it's not a whereabouts failure, if that athlete uh, has an anti doping um, rule valuation, so we'll just say that's a you know positive test for example interesting yeah, that athlete has options you know they have the right to request a hearing uh, before an independent arbitral body or. To CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, so they definitely, yeah, have rights within this system. So, how long does it generally take to turn around
0: a drug test? Like once somebody has submitted their sample.
1: Yeah. So, for I, I know this isn't exactly what you're asking, but for example, with the Valieva situation in Beijing, you know that sample that was collected in December should have been turned around within 20 days, and at a competition you know, the stakes are, are higher and obviously there is a doping athlete, those uh, samples uh, will be uh, addressed quickly.
0: I was thinking maybe we can kind of switch gears a little bit and go back to how the Russian whole debacle began with Sochi. And I remember kind of before the Rio Olympics in 2016, so two years after Sochi, I had watched the Icarus documentary where, um, you know, there's this cyclist who's really kind of diving into the doping world, trying to figure out how it works. And he connects, connects with a Russian scientist, Grigory Rudchenikov, I think, if I'm saying that correctly, probably not. He got connected with him and he ended up being this big whistleblower on the entire like Sochi scandal at the 2014 Winter Games. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, if you've seen Icarus, that's a great insight into the whole situation. So the 2014 Games in Sochi, there was coordinated uh, cheating on behalf of Russia, sample swapping. Everybody probably knows of of the hole in the wall um, (laughs) situation. And uh, later that year, uh, whistleblowers, an athlete and her husband, the Stepanovs, um, acted as whistleblowers. And 2015, WADA declared Rusada, so the Russian anti-doping agency is non-compliant. And by the time we got to 2016, you know, the IOC was resisting calls to ban Russia entirely, but the Paralympics bans Russia, Russian athletes in 2016. Oh, they did, um, and at that. Yeah, at that Games, uh, Russia won 19 golds and was fourth in the medal count at the Olympic Games. And uh, yeah, as, as you know from there, Russian athletes, as of uh, the 2018 Games, were allowed to compete as Olympic athletes from Russia. And, uh, you know, there are varying opinions on that, but I think that it's pretty unfair as an athlete to have to compete against a system that wasn't effectively sanctioned. And what we see now is that I don't think anybody's really confident that they've not been coordinating uh, doping amongst their athletes and that any punishment or the lack of punishment basically has led us to where we are today.
0: Well, I agree. And I was on the ground in Rio uh, with media kind of covering the, the diving events. And I remember there was just this big drama because there was that push to ban Russia, like the entire federation. But IOC kept backing off and wouldn't do it and instead passed it off to the international governing bodies of each sport, which seemed like a very weird handoff to me and confusing. Like, I don't know why they would do that. And I also have Russian friends better divers in my sport and a lot of them trained in the state. So I always feel bad when, when some, you know, athletes get caught up perhaps um, in those things where maybe they aren't part of that system, but the system as a whole is so messed up. Like, how do you think, like, could the IOC have handled that better? I, I don't know why they would pass the buck
1: like that. Cause isn't it, aren't the decisions supposed to stop with them? Yeah. I mean, I think they could have handled it better. You know, it's unfair to everybody. It's unfair to the Olympic games um, and the Olympic system overall you know people lost confidence in the in the Olympic Games being clean um, they lost confidence that um, there would be bold action taken um, in response to the state-sponsored doping that was proved yeah for sure and I, I kind of it kind of felt like a joke in a
0: lot of ways, because just not allowing them to compete under their flag, which I mean, everybody has national pride, like you want to compete for your flag, but just having that taken away and you're not Russia, but you're the Russian Olympic Committee. So it it kind of almost felt like a joke because everybody knew it was Russia. It was still Russia, you know, and so it, it didn't even feel like a punishment. It felt like a slap on the wrist a little bit. And then, you know, fast forward a few years later, it's almost like, Have they gotten emboldened that they won't get in trouble for this? Because as we saw, you know, all the ice skating debacles unfold just a month ago, um, you know, in Beijing, it just doesn't seem like anything has changed.
1: Yeah, that's the concern. And, um, you know, I think that the IOC and the, the actions they did decide to take have ultimately harmed the Olympic system overall. Yeah, I agree with that
0: is there any pressure on them to still make this change or are they just refusing to to do it?
1: Well, at this point, um, you know, as of the last decision by CAS in 2020, um, at Russian athletes are prevented from competing under their flag. And at that point, CAS did half the ban from four years to two, but it was unclear as to why. And CAS being, I think I said this, but the court of arbitration for sport. So yeah, I don't think there's, there's much chance that, the state-sponsored doping that was um, proven to have happened in uh, the 2014 games and around that time um, and earlier are going to be ad- – that issue is going to be addressed at this time. But it would be great if, if it was, uh, but I don't think that that's likely.
0: Okay, there was some complications. So as as Beijing's unfolding and and it just you know it's like Sochi happening all over again. It felt like you know for a lot of people just brought back those memories. Um, I was messaging with a lot of different Olympians, and we were all kind of arguing about like how it was supposed to work, who had the final call. So when it is a drug scandal like this, we have the World Anti Doping Agency WADA, who is supposed to be in charge, but yet you've got the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, who is kind of supposed to be over everything, but then you have. Cast that you keep talking about, the court arbitration of sport, who obviously has a lot of control, too. So who actually has the ultimate say and who decides what? Because nobody seems to know. Even my Olympian friends don't seem to know. The ultimate
1: say on on Russia's involvement, you mean?
0: Yeah. And on, on doping scandals of this
1: kind of magnitude in general,
0: like who who ends up with the final say?
1: Yeah, I think the the best general answer is, you know, the IOC has a lot of control over these systems. There's overlap in terms of leadership at the IOC and leadership at CAS. So, you know, the IOC is at the top of the pyramid. Okay. Even over the, the, the CAS? So the, one of the, the concerns I have about CAS, and many other people have this concern, is the overlap um, in terms of, you know, the CAS president being a vice president of the IOC. You know, how much can we trust that CAS generally is operating with independence? if there is that overlap of an individual with uh, decision-making power and influence in both systems. Right. I first started using Katsu after I discovered it
0: could be used for recovery. After speaking with a Navy SEAL friend that had used Katsu to help him recover from traumatic injuries, I decided to give it a try for an ongoing tricep issue I had. Within the first week, I noticed the cramping I had in my tricep would completely stop after a katsu session. It also helped me recover much faster after platform workouts. After seeing such great recovery, I started to add katsu into some strength training and plyometric workouts as well. And the craziest side effect that I noticed was that I was hardly ever sore from a hard workout that I did while wearing the katsu bands. I feel like katsu has given me the ability to get stronger while recovering faster. Katsu is the pioneer and gold standard of the emerging blood flow restriction market. Navy SEALs, world champions, and gold medalists use Katsu daily for improved performance, quicker rehabilitation, and unprecedented recovery from hard workouts, intense competitions, and even jet lag. Katsu was invented in Japan and has been used at every Winter and Summer Olympics since 1988. Katsu Global offers a variety of easy-to-use products that can be used safely and effectively in the comfort of your home, office, or during travel. It can be used for any workout or between training and competitions for recovery. To learn more about Katsu and even get 10% off, go to laurawilkinson.com slash katsu. That's laurawilkinson.com slash katsu. K-A-A-T-S-U is there more than just that overlap? I mean, that's a pretty good conflict of interest, I'd say.
1: Yeah, that's the overlap I I hone in on. You know, the other concerns about CAS are, you know, generally a lack of transparency and uh, funding, you know, how much funding, where the funding's coming from for their operations. And, you know, I think that, you know, when analyzing sport governance generally, a lot of insight can be gained by looking at funding. On a separate note, you know, when sport organizations say that they are, you know, athlete focused and then you get to look at their budgets, are they supporting that statement with their the documentation on their budgets or not? And uh, I think that same perspective could be applied to to CAS in terms of independence. You know, how is the funding being provided and um, how is their independence supported uh, in reality, but just having a, a president that is a VP of the IOC, I, IOC member, VP uh, is a problem.
0: I would imagine for sure. And and then we had like the ruling when you had the Camilla Valeva um, ruling. She did the team event; they won gold. But then the next day, the the doping allegation kind of came out from you know something. That was back in December at a, at a Russian nationals uh, had tested positive for a a heart medication that was uh, banned. But, you know, it went to the the cast and they basically made up, it sounded like a made up rule that, that now there's a different rules applying to minors because she's a protected person. And I have never heard of that before. I mean, I've seen gymnasts and gymnasts are generally very young. I've seen them banned and stripped of medals before. I, You know, so this kind of felt like it came out of left field.
1: Yeah, it did. And it was highly concerning. To me and everybody else uh, at USADA, the fact that the arbitrators took it upon themselves to uh, write a rule uh, for protected persons and provisional suspensions for me was, uh, you know, pretty disturbing. And and also, you know, there was a lot of um, talk about the irreparable harm to Camila as a 15 year old athlete and minor and i certainly have a lot of compassion and um i think everybody you know i've talked to anyways feels the same uh, you know this is a horrible situation she's in and undoubtedly high risk for harm uh, to this athlete for many reasons but what was concerning to me as well was that there was no acknowledgement for the irreparable harm to the clean athletes in competition as well so it was all focused on the harm to camilla But what about the harm to the clean athletes and also the sport and the Olympic Games? Well, and this is notorious, too, because it always happens. And then
0: it doesn't matter who wins at that point. All you remember is the drug scandal. So the glory of the Olympic Games that only comes once every four years and for especially in sports where you're generally very young, once in a lifetime, you get this opportunity and it's tainted in this and and there's no going back on that, you know. I mean, there's sometimes there's testing years later, like we had a I guess Shante Lowe um, who got a bronze in Beijing nine years after she was sixth in Beijing because three people ended up being positive for drugs, and so you know. But that nobody knows that she didn't get six and she ended up bronze. Like it's a very difficult thing for the athletes. I guess what 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 can they do? What can we do to change this? Is there something?
1: Where, where do you see this going? Or is it just going to keep going downhill? Yeah, I think that people with a position in positions of power in the Olympic system need to speak up and take action. So, you know, the, the Olympics in L.A. in 2028 are going to be a great opportunity for the U.S. to assert concerns and create a new stage for the Olympics that is more dedicated to protecting athletes, clean athletes and athletes in general, from injustices. But until that point, it's really important that people in positions of power, in sport governance, Olympic sponsors, our U.S. government, keep using and start using the levers they have to initiate change.
0: I mean, how do you suggest they do that? I mean, what, what can an Olympic sponsor do? You know, because I, I don't feel like, other than complaining about it, I, I don't, it doesn't, from my perspective, seem like anybody is really doing anything.
1: Well, an Olympic sponsor is, is paying for the Olympic brand and, you know, the, the Olympic spirit, as we know, and, and, the Olympic values are a cherished part of the Olympic movement, I think by everybody, but they're not being sufficiently protected and the Olympic games are not being and Paralympic games are not being sufficiently protected. So, you know, sponsors can uh, voice their concern that their investments are not being sufficiently protected. Gotcha. That's great. Well, I love that um the head of USADA,
0: um, your CEO, Travis Tigart, you know, he he's been very open about this and talked about Russia hijacking the competition, stolen the moment from clean athletes. So I, I do very much like that your organization has been very outspoken and very for the clean athletes. It is refreshing to see that when it just it just feels like People get so into the scandal that they forget about everybody else involved and everybody else's
1: dreams and moments, which is what the Olympics were supposedly created for, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's unfortunate, but, you know, this is how when something like this happens, this is how, how it goes. You know, people focus on, you know, this situation. And, and I think it's, you know, ultimately could be an opportunity to initiate change for the better. Should russia as as a whole country
0: be banned from the upcoming games?
1: on one hand, you have a lot of athletes in russia that that may be clean that are paying a price uh, for their country's decisions and then on the other hand, you have clean athletes that you know their systems are working uh, for example here in the u s you know they're being tested and if there is a prohibited substance or it's metabolite in the sample, we are following the rules and um, you just want the same treatment across the globe as it's supposed to happen. And it's just, it's just not the case totally. And that's extremely frustrating and to athletes from every sport that these standards aren't being upheld everywhere.
0: No, I totally agree. And I guess the frustrating part is, I mean, you were dealing with this back in the 90s, and it just feels like it's just gotten worse in a lot of ways. And I don't want to be the negative Nancy. You know, I want to give hope to the upcoming athletes. I want to, you know, tell them how to help them fix it. You know what I mean? But I I get lost on what to do. And I love that that you have stepped up and you've joined USADA and you are engaging in these conversations and and making those changes. I I guess, is that what it's going to take? Because sometimes... You know, I also think of athletes get scared to speak up about a plethora of things. Like, you know, we, we watched the whole um, Larry Nassar abuse cases with gymnasts. Well, all the gymnasts were afraid to speak up because either they they thought it must be okay because everyone around them was not saying anything, or they thought they'd be taken off the national team, or they thought there would be repercussions. So I feel like sometimes it's the same thing with this kind of situation with, with different doping issues that people are afraid to speak up or speak out because it will look badly on them and they will be taking on the repercussions
1: instead instead. instead of the person who has been doping and doing
0: the wrong thing. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, That fear of retribution, the fear of uh, risking sponsorships, potentially the fear of just negative consequences is real. And, you know, what I would say to those athletes is, you know, reach out to me, reach out to any of your athlete representatives and um, express your concerns in that way. And I'm sure you'll put my name or sorry, email and number in your show notes, but I'm happy to connect athletes with the relevant representative or advocate. You know, that's really important uh, thing to do, but you know, the system needs to change as well. Athlete representatives don't have um, decision-making power within sport governance, and that needs to change. How How does that change? Just going back to the point about, you know, positions of power. So- Sponsors, um, individuals and organizations with positions of power in the Olympic movement need to use their voice on behalf of clean athletes. That's one of the reasons why I like working for USADA is that, you know, Travis, our CEO makes uh, bold statements on behalf of and in service to clean athletes. And um, speaking truth is something that takes, you know, courage and boldness and it's to be respected and um, supported. And I think we need more people doing that.
0: Definitely. You know, and, and I, I go back to these positions of power that you're talking about, and, and it's it's great to encourage the, the sponsors and the governing bodies as well. But, you know, I, I keep thinking back to what we were talking about with the overlaps between the IOC and WADA and CAS, and how can we help change that? Is there a way to help... I, what can we do from the ground, you know what I mean, <laughs> to try to make effective changes in these governing bodies? because. I mean, I'm I'm just gonna kind of come out and say it because I don't really trust a lot of these governing bodies anymore. Because you see all the different bribery allegations trying to get Olympic games. We see the head of FINA right now, the new president of FINA, is under bribery charges. um, You know, for something that happened with FIFA. You know, he just went from one sport to another. You know, and he's connected with a guy who is also uh, just got charged. um, You know, with with another scandal within Kuwait. So it's. It's really kind of hard to trust some of these really high-level governing bodies, especially international ones, when we constantly see the people at the top getting in trouble and not being transparent and not doing what appears to be in the best interest and not making calls that should be made because it's, you know, an entire country like like IOC not making the call on Russia not being able to compete. So my first assumption goes, are they being paid off? Like, there are thoughts like that that go in my head, and I don't want to accuse anyone of anything because I have zero but with all of these things rolling around, it makes it hard to trust them. And so what can we do as just athletes or coaches um, or you know fans watching? What can we do to make our voice heard t- for a difference there? Other than just, is it still just talking to sponsors and governing bodies? Or is there another avenue? I'm sorry, I'm just trying to find a way to change this you know I don't want to just leave it the way it is I, I love sports and I, I want it to be this awesome thing for my kids coming up for the next generations coming up um, I, I want it to be this beautiful thing that made us fight for things and um, want to be these amazing people and you know in this pure beautiful way yeah
1: it's a great question and uh, basically you know the system like I said was not is not set up with a lot of independent athletes and in decision making positions. But you mentioned sponsors, and uh, this is actually a big deal. Uh, Athletes could talk to their sponsors and ask questions. For example, you know, do you have any concerns around anti-doping and and what's been happening with Russia? Uh, Just bring it up in conversation so that your sponsors know it's a concern of yours and you would like it to be a concern of theirs. And another example is that last year we connected uh, some athletes with ONDCP, which is our government office handling anti-doping, and they're responsible for paying dues to WADA. And just so your audience knows, the U.S. is the highest dues payer out of any country to WADA. And WADA is funded half by the Olympic movement, half by governments. So our government actually has a large payment to be made uh, to WADA, and uh, you know that that allows them some some sort of audience. But we connected athletes to ONDCP to express their concerns and um, illuminate the issues that clean athletes are facing in this country on a global stage. And, you know, that really helped uh, ONDCP in regards to pushing for independent athletes and decision-making positions at WADA and pushing for change. I mean, that sounds
0: great. You know, I I think what I'm hearing is the moral of the story is we we just can't stop pushing. I guess we just need to be this consistent drumbeat where we just don't let it go. I mean, it's going to take a movement, but I guess just a very consistent movement like you're talking about.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, the more athletes get involved, the less sport governance can say, well, athletes aren't involved and, you know, we don't regularly hear those concerns. So... Yeah, I understand the difficulty in getting involved. Uh, you know, one of my main um, points of discussion, oftentimes in regards to athlete representatives, is that how can athletes get involved if it's oftentimes so hard to get a hold of their representatives? And furthermore, how can a representative be called a representative if they are not available to communicate with the people they're representing? Well said. Yeah, this is a big problem. You have athlete representatives, they're appointed. Uh, and we don't really understand their motivation. There are problems with uh, the few elections that do exist, in, in my view, in terms of how those elections happen. But generally, the overall statement is talk to people you trust and connect those conversations with people in positions in sport governance or your sponsors in positions of power or influence and um, share those concerns. You know, Travis, our CEO here at USADA, is in touch with athletes uh, regularly, and it is something that, Needs to happen in other areas of sport governance as well, but needs to continue happening so that we can be as informed as possible on what athletes are hearing, experiencing, what questions they have, uh, what they'd like to see change. So if, if an athlete reaches out to you with concerns,
0: can they be confident that it will be kept confidential if they're scared, you know what I mean, for those athletes that are afraid of some kind of backlash or something for speaking out, I I guess, can they go to you or is there someone besides just an athlete rep who they should go to, to know that they'll, their information will be trusted?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm speaking for myself uh, at USADA and I also am on the athlete advisory team at the Center for Safe Sport. I am regularly having confidential conversations with athletes. And uh, I think that every athlete needs to decide how they navigate uh, trusted conversations because um, that's something that you have to decide in terms of how you're uh, comfortable in coming forward. But I can't convince anybody to trust me. But at the same time, I would like athletes to know that I've experienced the the downsides of sports uh, and. I am happy to keep any concerns confidential and there will be no selling out on my behalf (laughs) because I just, you know, I paid too high of a cost personally um, for what I experienced in sport to um, take anything lightly, most especially confidence
0: yeah. Well, in which I hate that you experience that, but I do love that it makes you someone that I think athletes can feel like they can trust because of that. And how how can people get a hold of you? We'll make sure to put it in the show notes as well. But if you can just tell us the best way to get a hold of you.
1: Yeah, my email address is awagner at Usada dot org. And my phone number is 802-380-0688.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, this is really helpful. And I think We just need to keep communicating because I think we forget how powerful communication is, but it takes communication to change. It takes people speaking up to change. If we don't say anything, it's almost a guarantee that nothing will change, that things will probably get worse because we're not having a voice in that. So I, I just want to, with you, kind of, tell athletes um, and coaches listening that like your voice, your concerns are warranted. And if you have them, somebody else probably does too. So we need to start speaking up. We are courageous athletes. We need to be courageous people as well, you know, outside of our arena, outside of
1: the sport when it has to do with these things like our sport that we love. Definitely. And I think that um, whatever you're experiencing in sport, positive, negative, It's helpful to communicate that, uh, like I said earlier with people in inside sport governance, uh, because what I found is that sport governance is, uh, very removed from the actual experiences of athletes. And generally the system, you know, treats athletes as expendable and, you know, that just needs to stop. You had asked me, uh, before we talked today about, uh, you know, how Bach, uh, IOC President Bach responded to seeing Fiala coach responding to her after her second skate. And, you know, I think that just illustrates the fact that there is so much distance between, you know, that level of sport governance and the reality of what athletes live. And the conversations I have with people from the IOC, WADA, and other sport governance people is that they just have no idea, you know, they're living in this bubble of, of unicorns and rainbows, (laughs) you know, and that is not in touch with the reality of, of how athletes fight their way through their careers oftentimes. And uh, athletes need more support in lots of ways and they need more advocates. I a million percent
0: agree. And Yes, so the state of affairs is a bit of a mess right now, I think we can say, but with people like you, becoming such a strong voice and a strong advocate within the system uh, is just huge and gives me great confidence. And you're welcome back on here anytime. I'm sure I will be bugging you um, for a long time to come uh, to come back on about different topics. But thank you so much, Allison, for coming on today for for sharing all of this with us, for clarifying a lot of things and for giving us a voice. Oh,
1: thank you so much for having me and thanks for what you're doing.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today.
1: And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows
0: us to keep bringing on amazing guests and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.